Ends in the homework. So in order to get credit, you have to turn in the homework. So from this point on, so now if you're a leader, then you may have people that still need to take some of the classes. So we're going to give a month to make up those classes and to complete them. And then if a month happens and somebody in your ministry hasn't completed them, then I hate to be the bad guy, but they're going to have to be put on suspension until they finish them. So, and I hope you don't see that as punitive. Do you know what that means? Penalty. But you have to understand, you know, there's some people that missed them. Are, they're just so excited. They, they're like bugging me to, you know, can you send it? Because they're anxious. So that's good. But see, when you serve, you know, you have to, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but, you know, there, you have to be, you know, committed to doing that. And if, you know, that's the whole reason we're having the class. So if you're a leader, I need your help because, you know, it's going to be, I don't want to police everything and do, I don't want to be that guy. But in your ministries, you're going to have to, to watch that and keep an eye on that and, and let let us know and you know that it's possible that some people may say that you know this is too much i don't want to do all this and, and that's fine too you know we you know you'd have, just have to consider is this something that's important to you and that you really want to do and that's the people that should be serving there's some people that maybe it's better right now that you sit and and learn and grow and, and that's okay too so it's just when you're making a commitment to serve it, it is a commitment. So anyway, um, that, is there anything else I wanted to say? Um, so please help with that. And from, from this point on, it'll be um, just, we'll send out the audio and the homework and then finishing the homework will be the, you get credit for the class. So, all right, sound good? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for those that are here today. Uh, some amazing people, Lord, that you have done such neat things in their life, and it's a blessing for me to watch and see what you've done in and through them, and their desire to serve you and to be used by you just blows me away, Lord. So I pray for all of us and for our church that you would bless it, that you'd pour out your spirit upon it, and that we would be everything that you've intended us for, for us to be, nothing more, nothing less. We just want to be what you want us to be, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so our last section today, seventh session, is going to be on unity. We're going to talk today about unity and why that's important and why that's necessary. Next slide, please. So, in order for a church body to be what God wants it to be and to be effective, it's vital for the servants and leaders to fulfill the calling that God has on this church body. So God has a calling on our church body. So individually, He has a calling on all of our lives. And then corporately, if this is our church, then he has a calling on our life together as well. And we've uh, talked about before what our vision and mission, the reason we're here is to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ. If we're going to do that as individuals, then my arm and leg and mouth and shoulder and back, they have to all go with that desire but if my arm is over there and my leg is over there well it hurt but it's hard to be effective so individually we have to submit our whole selves to the lord and then corporately we have to submit our whole selves to the lord i wanted to read to you from a book called a chance to die which i think is interesting in regards to unity, that this book would be called A Chance to Die. It's by Amy Carmichael. I know some of you have heard of her. Maybe some of you haven't. But 
She was a missionary who devoted her life in an orphanage in India, right? If you haven't read the book, I'd highly recommend it, called A Chance to Die. And here's something that she said in regards to her ministry. Can you go back for a second? Um, So this was her aim in ministry, to lead children out of themselves and into the service for others untarnished by earthly thoughts. So that was her, the whole vision of her ministry was to do that. Now, in order for that to actually happen and to involve other people in that vision, here's what she brought to those people who wanted to get involved with what she was doing. So this would be, uh, this, she said, this meant that, um, how do you say that word? Donover, workers, so that's where she, that was her thing, that was her ministry, must be of one mind about at least eight things. So here's a woman who really knew what was up in ministry and had this calling on her life. If you guys, you don't have to write that down. I can, I can get that for you if you want that. And she was so, you know, so passionate about what she was doing and and so burdened that when people wanted to join her in that vision you had you had to agree to these things here's what she says number one follow the crucified so you basically be follow a follower of christ loyalty towards one another interesting there had she and that's something that I don't think it's talked about a lot. I think people are afraid if you talk about loyalty that, you know, it would insinuate like a cult or something like that. But just on its surface, if you think about it, there has to be loyalty. This is a, a, a value that the disciples had with one another and that Jesus taught about the importance of, of loyalty towards one another. And she knew that. And she knew if, if you couldn't trust the people that you're working with, or if there are different agendas or selfishness or things like that, you wouldn't get the job done. So that was a high value on, on what she was doing, loyalty. Number three, continuing to be family, not an institution. Number four, being on guard against the foes of keenness and spiritual joy. So one of I thought that was interesting. One of the big things that she thought was important was that within this unit of people serving to help these kids, that they wouldn't be okay with gloomy, distracting attitudes that were brought into the ministry, complaining and those kind of things. But she saw it was so important is that they would bring a thankful cheerful, joyful heart to their service. Now, that doesn't mean we don't get down. I think you guys would know that's obviously not what we're talking about. We go through different things. Things are hard. We get upset and discouraged. But we can't just, knowing what Christ has done for us, we can't just live our life in that, right? So she thought that was so important that she made it part of the the commitment that people would make to serving in the ministry. And then she said in verse 5, this is interesting, counting it an honor if they were made a spectacle to the world, to angel and to men. So she made it part of what we would unite about was that to the world, we would be a spectacle. In other words, that the world would see us as the way the world saw Jesus. Not in a way where the world would see us like them, which I think is a a problem in a lot of churches that they want to be like the world so bad. They're so desperate to be like the world that people wouldn't know the difference between their church and a worldly event they went into. So she, she thought that's an honor and that's something we all have to unite about and say, you know what? to be seen the way Jesus was, being, was saw, seen in the world, that we have to unite, that that's a good thing. 
that we would want that. Number six, asking the Lord to mark his cross on natural choices. In other words, they wanted to unite that in all that they did in life, that it would be done through the cross. It's a worldview. They had have a, a worldview that would go through the cross. Denial of self and following Jesus, being willing to forsake whatever. But do you see the commitment she's drawing out of people? That this wasn't a, like you'd really have to consider this, wouldn't you? Like you might read this and be like, uh, well, let me really think about that. I don't know if that's where I'm at in my life. I like to just show up sometimes and it's fun to do things. She didn't want people like that. She wanted people that were sold out. She wanted people that saw those kids like she saw them and were willing to give their life for them because that's how Jesus saw those kids. And I think that's important that we see ministry like that. That it's not about how many people that we have serving. It's about how committed the people that serving are to the Lord and to the people that you're serving. So that's really important because, again, it's not about just plugging in and filling holes and doing things. It's about loving the people and sacrificing yourself so you can love the people. And if we're called to be, have the best loved and best taught sheep, then that requires those serving in our church to be willing to lay down their life for people. And in other words, to sacrifice for the people. Um, number seven, unreserved renunciation of everything human beings generally love and desire for what the Lord Jesus Christ loved. So she wasn't messing around, right? It wasn't a light thing. And to be honest with you, I think we've made it in the past where it's too light here to where a person can easily not come or come or walk out the door or not or walk in the with with it doesn't, didn't matter. They weren't committed. It was just whatever fit in or made them feel good. I'm talking in the spectrum of the 14 years we've been at this church, that that's been a problem. And then the last one is a willingness to be set at naught. I don't know what that, no, it's kidding. <laughs> oh, just, that means a, a willingness for yourself to be set aside, a willingness to not have your way and your a win, willingness to be nothing, a willingness to be nothing. So then she, at the bottom, she put truth, loyalty, and honor were put first. I find, I find this, when I read this, I was just astounded. It really made me to, th to think about the importance of serving and the calling and, and how we've portrayed that here at our fellowship. Next one. So, Scripture here is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 14, speaking about the importance of unity. And let me just stress that our church can't move forward until we're united. And that doesn't mean everybody in the whole church is going to be united. And as the church grows, you know, you're going to get less and less unity, but the core has to be united can't be constant strife and constant, you know, going back and forth and, and all that. There can't be that. And, and here's an example. It says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and have all been made to drink of one spirit, for in fact the body is not one member but many members. And then down in verse 25 it says that, so here's the reason, that there should be no schism, separation, division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. 
So the, the, the importance of, you know, having a body, a, a unity of purpose compared to our human bodies, our physical bodies, in order to move forward. And, and the caution that we have to take about having divisions and schisms. And then he says in verse 26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So now um, we see this stressing of Paul on the importance of unity and the fact that we are united. And, you know, that's really one of the big reasons we're having this class is because it's hard to be united if you don't know what we're to unite over. It takes me a long time to get things, so I finally got, well, we need to tell people what we're uniting over and see who, who can be on board with that. So I find it interesting that as he's talking that there, there's this unity because we're in Christ. That, that's the unity, but we don't lose our individuality. You know, that's what a cult does. A cult tries to take your individuality, your personality, who you are. They try to own that. A body of Christ is we're owned by Christ. And we're all submitting to Christ in our own life. We don't submit um, to him without considering what he's really asking us to do. And it's not a light thing that he's asking us to do to serve him. Next slide. So now, um, why is it necessary to have unity in church? Why can we all just have our own ideas, do our own thing, be a congregational rule and have a vote and see whose opinion wins over other people's and see what the majority has and all that stuff? Well, you don't find that in the Bible, number one. And number two... We find that from the early church in the book of Acts, we find how important this unity was. In Acts 1, 12 through 14, it says, They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, so they went into that room, they're all, all together. They're following Jesus' instructions. So they went up in the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, Judas, James. And it says, this is the key part. These all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. That word one accord is the word of unity. It speaks about their desire to be of the same spirit and the same mind. That word one accord means that they rushed to unity. They were anxious to be of the same mind. And what's interesting is you find here that they didn't do a lot of talking it out. You do see some of that. They didn't do a lot of talking it out. They didn't solve their disunity potential problems through the flesh because, you remember, Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might not by power, but by my spirit. So what was the key to their unity? They submitted themselves personally to the Lord. So what happens if a person submits himself to the Lord? Then all of us different people become one person because of the one uniting factor, as it's the spirit in us. The spirit in us is going to lead us all away from ourselves to submitting to Christ. That's where the unity comes from. But you notice the practical aspects was prayer and supplication. 
So it was praying was how they handled their unity issues. Prayer and supplication. So they took it to the Lord and they asked the Lord and sought the Lord and submitted themselves unto the Lord. See, over, over the years, I would say 100%, if not 99.9% of the problems that we've had with people causing problems in church had nothing to do with the biblical issue. Zero. It wasn't like you're doing this unbiblically or this. It had everything to do with a person saying, I don't like this. I don't want this. I am not into it. And it really comes down to a lack of submitting themselves to the Lord. Next slide, please. So I want to talk a little bit more about this potential problem that we face of disunity. Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, 25, every house divided against itself, it cannot stand. So of course, Satan wants to attack our church so that we would have division, right? And he, I, I think he starts a lot of times more with the core people of your church. You know, that's the getting to the, the real um, people that need to be united. So he starts attacking there because, you know, that's one way to make a church ineffective, right? That's a way to have a, have a church exist, but not have a church function. Function the way God is. You notice in the early church, the Holy Spirit poured out upon their unity. The Holy Spirit empowered them together as a unit when they were united. And that makes sense, right? Because individually we can have the Holy Spirit poured out on us. But if our body is looked at as one unit by God, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 12, different parts but one body, then there has to be the unity of that body for the Holy Spirit to empower that body to fulfill its purposes. So here's some of the problems. And, and one of the things I put is, it's really a heart problem. Disunity is really, it's really a heart problem. And it's okay, you know, to struggle with some issues that we have. And the Bible gives us a prescription of how to deal with those things with one another. But God, when we come to a place within the body of church of Christ, within the body of disagreement or an issue we may have, there's a way to handle that in a godly way so it doesn't have to create a schism or be disunity. So we all have to be, and especially you guys who are serving, and especially you who are servant leaders, that it's so important that you're mature about these things and your faith in how you handle these things. Because, like I said, what it, most of the time, I can't think of, a, of an issue that was really a legitimate biblical issue unless, you know, somebody has a different theology or something that's fine. You know, and you say, you know, this church, they're more reform, they're more Calvinistic, and I fit better in there. God bless you, that's great. Or this church, I just feel more comfortable here. We're not talking about those things, but be very careful that you're not just, I'm going to talk about this more in a second, but be very careful what the issue is really all about. And be very careful when you say, the Lord's calling me out. Be very careful about that because Robert and Paul and, and others can attest a lot of people have been have said in the past, the Lord's calling me out, and they're not doing any. They didn't call them out anywhere or to anything. I, I don't know, you know. I think the Lord calls us to keep growing and being less of ourselves and more of Him and moving forward and being more usable, not less usable and but like I said, 
you know, some of you at some point in time, you may say that, you know, there's another church closer or whatever. That, that's not, we're not, you don't have to get jumped out like a gang to leave here. <laughs> Let's just say that. I'm not concerned more about keeping people in our church. I'm more concerned about an individual believer's walk in the Lord. That's what I care about. Because at the end of the day, and I think you've seen that, that it's, the Lord builds the house. He brings the people that we can minister to, and He doesn't bring the people we can't minister to. That's completely His deal. So it's not a matter of our church. It's not a matter of that, but it's a matter of that I care about people's walks. That I really care about that. So here, here's just something that this is what I've seen, how God has really uh, positioned our church. So our, our mission is to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ, right? Hopefully we know that by now. Now think about this. So our church wasn't put here just to be like other churches and do what other churches do and to be a cookie cutter. But he's put, positioned us here in such a way that, that we would make passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. And so, in order to do that, we talked about this this morning, that has to go through the cross, right? So we're not going to be a church that's, that people are going to always just feel comfortable not growing and just not hungering for God. People come in all sort of different ways, but you're not going to like our church if that's not of interest to you. Because there, there, there's not a lot of other things to get you going in this church. You know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of things to, to titillize you and tantalize you and to excite you. And to, there's not a lot of those things. You know, you look around. I mean, this is, this is not the best church for that. It is a great church if you're serious about your walk with God. And like I said, people may not come in like that. They may come here. You may invite them. They might not at first come in. But at some point, you're going to be confronted with who you are in Christ. And that's why I put in the second point that sanctification, which the Bible tells us is the process after we're saved of God working in our life to separate ourselves and separate us from the world. Our church is set up to help people with that by the teaching of the word, by prayer, by, you know, just the model of the church that we have. And so, you know, just that that's not something that's super appealing to people in the world. So if our church, whatever happens in our church, that we're, it's going to be God and the Holy Spirit that's doing that. It's not going to be a manipulating of things and especially flesh. So think about that. So we're a church that's committed to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ, which means that goes through the cross, which the cross hurts. And the cross basically is surrendering your will to God, even though you don't want to. And now a person is being sanctified, which means now they're being separated from themselves and separating the world. They're, they're actually changing and growing. Not everybody likes that. Not everybody in, a, in an area like this is into that. And so because there's a lot of alternatives for people that they just kind of want to do a little thing on Sunday and that's not too serious and we're not a good church for that. And there are a lot of other churches that are good for that. So the next thing in, I put wilderness to wilderness. Now that's interesting if we can get the text on that. Um, okay, so wilderness to wilderness. What do you mean? Let me read the scripture and explain. Because, you know, I've been really praying about this over the years. There's this weird thing that seems to happen a lot. And I believe it's this. Jeremiah 42, 
15 and 16. It says, Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Here's what he says. If you wholly set your faces to enter or to enter Egypt and go to dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die. So what do you mean? Here's something that I've observed and been confounded about over the years. Do you know if we maybe kept 50% of the people that have come here, we probably would have 2,000 people in our church. Right? Do you think that? I don't know for sure. We'd have a lot of people, but here's what, here's what, you guys gotta hear this. See, when God brings us to a place, he brings us to that place, say, like a church, I'm talking about a church body. He brings us that, to a place, and it's interesting to hear all your stories how you got here. I'm, I still, every, the last couple services, uh, Wednesday night and Sunday night, I heard another story of how God brought people here. It's always interesting how God brings people here. And see, what happens is, what, what does God want to do with people here? I just said it. Make passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. That goes through the cross and it goes through sanctification, right? And you know what? Many, many times a person is excited to go that far. This is great. Best church I've ever seen. Best people. Best everything. Yeah. Church is okay. You know, I don't know. This I went to this other church, so it really, really, you know. You guys are terrible. You don't know what you're doing. You guys are the worst church I've ever seen in my life. You guys are evil. You think I'm kidding. You think I'm kidding. You would not believe the stories I've heard. But here's, what, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What are we really doing here? We have the Bible. We're praying, we're simple, we're following the best we can, the Lord and the model of the Holy Spirit. We don't, you know, badger people for money. We're not trying to, you know, build huge buildings for our sake. We're trying to follow the Lord. So what's wrong? At some point, a person is just going from wilderness to wilderness because they're getting confronted with an issue that God wants to grow them through. And a lot of times, it's all great until, and some people, it takes, like, it takes a while to get there. But I'm telling you, if you're here, you're going to get to that place where you're going to be challenged with something in your heart, something God wants to grow you in, something that God wants to take you to the next level in, and you're going to be confronted with that. And you're going to have the opportunity to say, you know what, Lord? See me through this. Or, you know what, Lord? Everybody else is the problem. I want to go over here. And you know what happens over there? The same exact thing. Why? God is putting you in a position to grow you. And you know, we live in an area where there's a lot of superficiality in people's walks. And God didn't bring us here to... Have people be superficial in their walks. And so when you're teaching the word and you don't have a whole bunch of stuff to prop somebody up in their faith, and a person feels exposed and naked before the Lord, those are the times to be all in and say, Lord, this is where you have me. I need to grow. And stop looking for the exit door constantly. And I've, I've observed this phenomenon. It's taken me a while to figure it out. But here's the thing. I really believe that God is p- 
put us here and has a calling on our church because he wants to break that pattern that's so ingrained in our culture, in our society here. And it's, it has to do with the heart and pride and selfishness. And when we try to have a Christianity that works with still a lot of ourself, like we can maintain ourself while still have a little bit of God, if God loves you, He's going to ransack you. And we're a church that, that's what, that's what happens here. And that's what's happened to me personally in the last 14 years. It's been stripping and stripping and stripping. Hey, I wanted to quit a bunch of times. A bunch of times. But at the end of the day, I have to ask myself, Lord, do you want me to quit or is that just me? More stripping, more stripping, more stripping, more stripping. So to be somebody who serves here, you have to understand this is not a light thing and you will be challenged with yourself and those deep issues in your heart because God is testing your faith to take you to the very next level. And if a person, the people that do well here are the persons that seek the Lord and go through every season in their life, good season and bad season, and they stick to it, you see those people blossom. Next slide. Oh, on D, then I put self-confrontation. So you're going to be in a position to confront yourself and deal with these issues in your heart. And don't, that's what these things are all about. And again, I haven't had anybody come to me and say there's a biblical issue. In fact, we even had missionaries that we sent out one time. And these missionaries, I didn't feel great about them going out. I'm not going to say where it was because you might be trying to figure out who it is. But I'm not, and it's been a while ago. But they went out to a very hard place. And they went to serve with a lady that I had known. had been there running orphanages for about 30 years and is single, given her whole life, kind of like Amy Carmichael. After six months, they contact me and tell me the lady's all messed up. Everything's terrible. And I said, well, there's, is there anything biblically wrong there? No, but she and just went on this list. I'm like, there's nothing biblically going on there. And then maybe the problem is with you and your submission issues. And they came back to the States and they didn't come back to our church because they didn't want to hear that. But they're put in a position where they had to submit their heart. This lady is still there. She's like a saint. She's an amazing lady and ministered to thousands of kids. But all of a sudden, these people went out there and she doesn't know what she's doing. And it wasn't anything biblical. They just didn't like the way, well, God's teaching you to submit. When you go out on the mission field, you better be ready to be ransacked. So next slide. So I want you to really just maybe jot down the scripture but consider something again, because when we're talking about serving here and we're talking about making passionate followers of Jesus Christ and then getting to a place where you're not just going from wilderness to wilderness, you're finally saying, I'm going to stop running and I'm going to start obeying. But look at what Jesus himself said about discipleship. See how this equates to your modern church experience in our culture. It says, now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So that's Jesus saying that. Now, when you read the Bible, you always have to ask, What is it saying? Is it saying to hate? My wife, my brother, my sister. My, it does say that. But the second question we always have to ask is, well, what does that mean? So it does say that, but what does it mean? Well, it can't mean that Jesus wants us to hate people, can it? Because didn't Jesus teach the opposite of that? So it can't mean that. So he must be saying something different. What he's saying is, our love and commitment to him has to be so superior 
that are our horizontal or earthly relationships, which he puts so much value on, have to seem like hatred in comparison to our devotion to him. But he says, if, if we're not like that, we're not his disciples. You know, they, we're not really following Jesus. If we don't have that, that attitude where, where Jesus is my everything, and then Everything else is in relationship to my everything. But you see the difference of how things really get twisted in, in service or in churches and everything? And our church is a church that God's called to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And then you read something like that. Not everybody's going to be into that. And especially if there is an offering of something other than that, that seems palatable. That seems okay. So why would anybody want to go to our church? Because they want, they're interested in following God. And they see that we've provided some sort of environment to help people do that. That's what, why we're here. And I think a lot of people have been confused on that point over the years. And I think a lot of people have not really understood our, our vision and, and why we're here. So it, it can be easy to come and go because they don't value those things. They don't value the teaching of the word. And they value a lot of the extraneous things, but not the teaching of the word and the environment that we're creating for them to help them grow in their walk, to be serious disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here. But watch this. Jesus wasn't done. And then he says in verse 27, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So he keeps repeating that, what a real disciple is. And then I'm just going to fast forward to the end. Verse 32, or else why the other is still a great ways off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So that was the end of it, his explanation of the disciple. And then he says, so likewise, whoever, oh, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So does that explain a little bit why our church is challenged spiritually a lot? And why we're not, we're not offering to people a whole bunch of extra things just to get them into the door and keep them at a distance from God? That kind of makes sense, right? But you know what? This is not, this is a, a, a model. This is our heritage as a Calvary Chapel. This is what our heritage is. And you know, you know how mind-blown the world would be when God pours out His Spirit upon a group of people this is what happened in Costa Mesa. People couldn't believe that you can just read the Bible and teach it and all these people would be interested in it. Well, we're in a time now where that seems like that would never happen. So I think we're set up perfectly for God to show off and show that we've, we've moved as a culture, I mean, so far from the, just the basics and the essentials of Christianity like so far we can't even recognize the simple things of the gospel. And God's called us and placed us for such a time as this, for this reason. And I believe that God has prepared and has been tilling the ground and working to bring this to pass one more time maybe. So those people can truly know what it means not to remove the ancient landmarks, as the prophet says, not to create your own form of worshiping God, God like they did in Judah where they, or uh, Israel where they moved the t temple there and made it convenient for people and redesigned and orchestrated their own worship. So that's what it means to be a disciple. And remember... We started from the beginning, is that's why we're here. And that's what Jesus says about being a disciple. Next slide. 
So something that then in this wilderness walk where everything's great, happy days out here again. Oh, well, now I'm getting confronted with my own heart. Now something's happening. What am I going to do? Am I going to stay here? Well, some of the reason for that is because we have false motives for what we're doing. When our motive is to glorify God at whatever the cost, then we're able to put ourselves out of the picture, right? And what it, it doesn't matter what we get or what we're grabbing at or what we're attaining, but we're willing to put ourselves aside so that God would be glorified because that's now our ambition, that he's, our, he's the one we want to glorify. He's what's important. That takes all the pressure off. You know that? Because now it's not striving. We're not striving with each other. We're not striving to, to do anything. We're just abiding, not striving. And we, when we start to nitpick things and all that, now, now we're striving. Now we have to come back to the cross and submit that and surrender that. Because the Holy Spirit works through unity. And if anything's going to happen here, it's going to be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, in, uh, I forget where it was, I think it's in Jeremiah, but it said the latter rain was coming, but then it said pray for the latter rain. You know what it means? It means there, there's be a time where God pours out His Spirit, but it doesn't mean that you're going to get that unless your heart's right. Pray for the latter rain, but pray for yourself, that you're an open bucket to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So then the next thing in G is kind of how this looks a little bit in regards to how, to, how we get ununited, how there's friction and things like that. A couple of things I just put down there is commitment. And we, we stressed that earlier about one, what it means to be a disciple, but two, about considering the cost of serving. Serving is not on our terms. Did you know that? Serving is not necessarily just to be convenient and just a side thing. We have to see this as a responsibility to be faithful to the Lord. And if we can't be faithful to that, then that's going to spill out on all the other areas of our life. God just is calling us to be faithful. And that requires us a commitment, not just an easy come in and easy come out. The next thing would be faithfulness, which is along the same lines. And then sacrifice. As you serve in the church, most likely it becomes kind of an addiction for you. Like you love it. I know that's what happened with me. I just couldn't get enough of it. I just loved it. I love God's people. I love to be around the things that are going on there. And it just took root in my life to where it's just, this is great. But see, we have to ask ourselves, are stepping into ministry and stepping into service now is an opportunity where, where God can really begin to work in our life, really begin to mold us and shape us. And God uses the church as one of the primary ways that we become sanctified. And that's why a lot of people will say things like, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't like to go to church. I don't like the people, you know, but I have my relationship is my independent thing. A lot of times it's because they don't want to submit to come under and have to deal with. They just want to be their, their independent person. But, you know, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. That we're in community, we're connected in a body. And when people say that, a lot of times they're just saying is they don't want anybody to bother them. But, you know, even if somebody in the body rubs you the wrong way, they're really rubbing you the right way because it's like sandpaper. It's like God's sanctifying you and growing you and developing. But, see, he does that within the body of Christ. It's one of the primary ways he does that. And so a lot of times we may see something as like, I'm irritated or bothered and not something bad's happening, so I'm out of here. 
Or we can see it as, I'm irritated and bothered. I have to lean on the Lord to get through these encounters with these persons or whatever. That Lord, help me deal with this. So then the question becomes, in ministry, here's, the opportunity is all laid out. The question is, how far will we go in that opportunity? The question is, do we have any places where we'd only just go this far and then it's like, no. Or we just go this far and it's just, that would be enough. I don't want to do anymore. And I hope that you wouldn't have any, any boundaries. I always love that. We sing that ocean song. You know, spirit lead me where the, what? Trust is without borders. But then I'm always thinking, do I really mean that? Do we all really mean that? Do we really want to go where our faith takes us and there's just nothing there except for the Lord? We have to really think about that. But I just, the opportunity is presented to us to have no reservations and just say, really, here I am, Lord, send me. And that's really what ministry is. It's just an availability and a willingness. And then saying, yes, Lord, to whatever he has for us, and then trusting the Lord. Because, see, in ministry, a lot of times, don't, don't we say, I can never do that? Have you ever said that? Oh, I can never. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what Moses said? I can never do that. Gideon said the same thing. I can never do that. No, you can't. But if you make yourself available to the Lord, he's calling you, you can. And thank God, because our church lives on that, unqualified people. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. We thrive on that. And it causes us to depend on the Lord, because it's like, I mean, if we're a football team, we don't have depth. You know, like we have one quarterback. If he goes down, we're done. We don't have to, we don't, but we're just, God teaches us just, to rely on him. But you know what he does? He's, he's teaching us to be faithful to what he's given us. And to see what he's given us the opportunities is the greatest privilege that a human being can have. So how far will you go? Next slide. So a little quick on time, so I'm going to be a little quick with this. But the thing is, Unity is so important. We get from the story of Achan and how he stole some stuff from Jericho. So the, the context is the children of Israel went in the promised land and they had to conquer territories, right? So they conquered Jericho and the whole point was God was going to conquer it for them. So how did how they conquer Jericho? They just marched around the city seven times and, and the walls fell down. No big deal. So God was going to do it. But then they get to Ai, should have been a no big deal. And then they didn't have success there. And they're like, what's going on? What are we going to do now? And then they realize Achan stole a little bit of the stuff, a little bit of the stuff in Jericho. He just hid it, hid it under, you know, under his tent. And now they weren't being successful. But that's a, an amazing picture of how really connected we are. How really connected we are. Because our disobedience to the Lord, our not using our gift for the Lord, our selfishness, our when we say, I don't feel like doing this or I don't feel like doing that, we don't consider what the writer of Hebrews said, that we should consider one another to stir up one another to love and good works. And what he was talking about is don't forsake the meeting of one another together. So a lot of times our showing up is not about us. Do you, do you get encouraged or discouraged sometimes when, when you see somebody or don't see somebody? You get encouraged or discouraged. And that, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, we should live our life and hang our life on what other people do. But I'm just saying we're connected in such a deep way, a lot, lot more than we even realize that our own walk affects the community. Does that make sense? And we get that from Aiken. So a couple things I just wanted to pull out from there. It says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. 
the, see, the, the whole children of Israel did that. But none of the children of Israel even knew about it. But it was looked at as a group thing. He says, For Achan took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So he, God saw the whole children of Israel as guilty because of this sin of Achan. But notice this in verse 12. It says, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. There's an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. And so you see the, the importance of how our own personal walk affects the whole community. And you saw that in the, in the early church with Ananias and Sapphira. If you remember that story, how they went in the temple, but they misrepresented how much they were giving. They wanted people to think they were su super spiritual. And what happened to them? Huh? They died. Pretty serious deal. But see, we say we want the nearness of the Lord. But see, there's positive and negative effects of, of the nearness of the Lord. And so we're connected as a community. And like I said, you know, that, that doesn't mean individually. It just means as a community. So we're definitely, especially at, at the core level, the servant level, and the leader level, that especially goes, holds true. And we, can't, we don't know what everybody does. I don't know what any of you do in your personal lives and all that. But just know all, our lives all affect one another in some way, shape, or form. Okay, next slide. So all of that is why we must understand what we are here for and what we are united about. So that's what these whole seven weeks have been about. So we would all understand this is Calvary Chapel. This is what we're about. This is what we're about. This is why we're here this is why I'm all in. This is why this is my church. And you may say, I'm not into that. And that's okay. This doesn't have to be your church. But if those things excite you and pump you up, then let's, let's go for it. Let's just say, okay, it's done. Let's see what the Lord is going to do. And let's get excited about that. Next slide. So, we talk about unity. And here's all I want to say from this slide. So the, the point of this slide is Philippians 2. And it talks about if you yourself have been affected personally by the Lord. In a good way. He's done so much for you. Then what he says is if that's true, then let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. And it talks about how he considered other people as more important than himself, how Jesus kept lowering himself. And that's the key to unity. Unity is never, you know, it's not about one person. It's not about a person's thing. It's about Christ. But see, what I wanted to point out from this is that we have to be intentional. Unity doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional. We have to make that a point. We have to see that as important. And we have to make that a priority. And how do we do that? We do it personally by submitting to the Lord in our own life. And then trusting Him in the way He's working things out. Next slide. So the, the result of unity. So now here's where it gets really exciting. If we will put ourselves aside and say, Lord, Your will be done. If we will say, I relinquish rights to myself. And you know what's interesting? The people that always do really well are, are people that do that. They just surrender it to the Lord. They're not striving. They're not fighting. They're not trying. They're just surrendered to the Lord. But that's biblical. But watch this. Here's what's, here's what's happening. This is a great picture. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So it's pleasant and it's good. This is a good thing. The Lord loves this. But then he gives us this picture. Watch this. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard of Aaron, the high priest, running down the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon 
descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. Live forever. Do you see what's going on there? What's the oil a picture of in, in the Bible? Holy Spirit. The unity of the body of Christ allows the Holy Spirit, like oil from the head, to run down the full body so that God can work through the whole body of Christ. That's why unity is so important. Then the next slide. This is exactly what happened in Acts 2, 1 through 4. Remember, previously we read how they're in the upper room together, right? So now it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. Remember that? Rushing to unity in one place. And then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Do you guys desire that? Does that appeal to you? It does to me. When I see that, I'm like, Lord, please do that. Please come like that. Please bring your latter rain. Please bring the Holy Spirit like that. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The point of that is that the importance of unity so that the Holy Spirit comes upon a group. He could come upon me individually and does, and I hope you too. But if we want that to happen as a group, which I hope you do too, imagine the, you know, the Holy Spirit empowering you in your own life. Hopefully you've experienced that and prayed about that. But imagine that happening on a group level, the power of that, the power of the Holy Spirit working through united body of Christ that's what a revival is. That's where an individual revival turns into a local and maybe bigger than that revival. So that's how it happens. Next slide. Next slide and the last slide. You guys made it. Praise the Lord. So this, I would like us to commit to praying for our own church body. This is Paul's own prayer for the church at Ephesus. This is what Paul prayed. And I hope you will join me in regularly praying this for our church. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. See that unity, the connection, the family, the body of Christ? That Here's what his prayer is. That he would grant you, God has to give it, we can't make it happen, according to the riches of his glory, how much is that? That's a lot, right? Can't put a number on it. But he's praying, God, give them according to all your riches of your glory. Give them to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So let, let their inner man be so equipped and strengthened. Why? I find it interesting, a lot of times we pray and ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our life, but pray for the strengthening that you can handle that. Because watch what he does. He says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So that's what happens. The Holy Spirit is poured out. There's, there's love. There's unity. There's glorification of the Lord. And it says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Would you like the world to know that? Wouldn't that be amazing if they knew the love of Christ? We need to be strengthened in our inner man. The working of the Holy Spirit in order to experience that. <coughs> to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge and I love this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you desire that? Be filled with all the fullness of God. I'll tell you, I, I want that. I want every single thing he has for me. And I pray that. Lord, fill me with the fullness of you and fill our body with that fullness. And then it says, how does this happen? Now, to him who is able, we can't do it on our own. God has to do it, right? 
to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according, notice, according to the power that works in us. So some, some, sometimes we quote that text, right? That God will do exceedingly abundantly all we can ask or think. But it is in regards to the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit working in a way where people would know the love of Christ. And God says he'll do that. He'll do that. And then it says, at the end of the day, verse 21, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Do you want that? That's what I want. I I really, like with all my heart, that's what I want. And I know that's what you want too. And I think we should be praying in regards to that, serving in regards to that. And at the end of the day, Let's see what the Lord's going to do. Let's see what he wants to do. He's not finished with us. I I think he's just beginning with us. And it starts right here. And you're the core of the church right here. This is the core. So, I want to finish just saying, does anybody have any questions before we go? Negative. Okay. Lord, thank you for this time together, and Lord, I just want to pray for those here right now, an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I pray for anybody here who would just say that they open their hearts to you right now, Lord, to receive whatever you have for them. And to those who are saying that, I pray that you'd pour out your Spirit now, that you'd overflow them, Lord, with love and joy and peace. I pray that you'd give them great hunger and thirst for you, Lord, that you'd be the driving force of their life. And I pray that they would receive the fullness of you, Lord, and that they would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would set the world aside and ourselves aside so that we can fully receive all that you have for us, Lord. I pray that you would take these meetings, use them for your glory, and I pray that you would raise up servants for your glory, committed to your way and committed to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.